Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Two, maybe two to three uh, weeks right here. I want to call this here this evening, uh, going to call this rather, uh, How to Live Through a Bad Day. Uh, we're going to, if I were to subtitle this, I'd call it crosswords, uh, meaning the words that came from the cross, some of those seven last statements that Jesus made from uh, the cross. And so with that being said, have, have you ever, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but have you ever felt, you know, depressed on a particular day and perhaps someone asked you if something was wrong? You ever had somebody pick up on that maybe something wasn't right? And they asked you if something was wrong. And have you ever responded and been honest with them instead of saying, I'm fine, which, you know, is our thing, and, you know, not hide it, and tell them, well, I'm just having a bad day. And perhaps the moment that you say that, there's someone maybe close enough to you, and maybe even not. Maybe they empathized with your statement. Maybe they attempted to console you and help you because you was having a bad day. But then again, sometimes we're met with the people whenever we say we're having a bad day, that they might be like, really? Well, I'm having a great day. You know, it's just like the sword, you know. You're having a bad day. They're having a great day. How in the world can this be happening within the same day? And it, it, it might have been the last thing you needed to hear, but they were just being, you know, themselves. Yeah, I'm having a great day. You're in a bad day. I'm sorry. I'm having a great day. And so you might sarcastically reply back to them, well, I'm glad at least one of us is having a good day. <laughs> And so the, the, the tension, or even we might say the revelation that is created from happenings like that is that a bad day for one may be a good day for another. And that, that tension may be even as sharp as this, what was bad for one was good for the other. For instance, just take a moment with me, use your imagination. Imagine, Brother Mike Trout, that you and I, uh, or any of us for that matter, you and I worked for the same company. On the same day, uh, each of us was taken uh, at separate times into an office for a very important discussion. Over lunch, you and I went to lunch and we talked about our separate meetings that we had. I was beaming with glee, and I was just so happy over what happened. But you, on the other hand, was quite disappointed and down over what happened in your important discussion. You tell me that you've been demoted in the company. I tell you that I've been promoted. But the kicker of the situation is this. Your disadvantage has become my advantage. I got your position. Someone's bad day was another's good day. Society calls, and this is leading us up into the time of April. Easter is around the corner. I don't know if anybody's looked at the calendar, but it's close. But society calls the Friday before Resurrection Sunday Good Friday. But that same day that was labeled good for most of the world, most of the population was bad in many ways, for Jesus Christ. For that matter, the very things that made it bad for him is what made it good for me. Crown of thorns, bloodshed, stripes on the back. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 5, 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So I'm getting good uh, out of my transgressions because he was wounded. I'm getting good out of the iniquities that I did at because he was bruised. So what was bad for him is good for me. And yet scripture says to you and I from Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2, it tells us about our own race and our own journey of life that let us run with patience uh, the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. In the next few couple, three, perhaps maybe weeks, we're going to look unto Jesus, if you will, who endured the cross. He endured his bad day. He endured his bad day as inevitably we all will embrace at some time in our life. Bad day is <laughs> weeks. Years even perhaps. And so with this horrible bad day that the Lord have, had, we want to take our cues then from the Lord considering those last seven words, as many speak of them, the last seven words of Christ on the cross, his cross words, if you will, to see how he made it through perhaps the worst day of his life. How he made it through the worst day of his life and to receive those words from the cross as instructions for how we should run our own race with patience. How we should consider our own bad day. And so number one tonight in Luke 23 and verse 34, this is one of the statements from the cross that Jesus gave to us. He said from the cross, he's, get the mental image in your picture as bad as you want to make it with the crown of thorns. He's already been whipped. He's already been thronged. The cat of nine tails has already been upon his backs. It has literally taken pieces of his flesh from his back. Some doctors even say could possibly expose his rib cage because they put bone and metal on the end of those whips. So whenever they clucked, buddy, they dug in. And when it was a pool, you didn't just scrape. You pulled meat with it. He's already had the nails prints put in his hands. He is there hanging there on the cross. And he says, oh, there's people, the soldiers put the crown of thorns on his head. Pilate, according to Scripture, thronged the back, right? The soldiers put those nail prints in his hands and put him up on the cross. He's carried his cross as best as he could. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Number one way for you to endure or make it through your bad days. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. The first statement from the cross. Now this seems a little bit difficult. Even when you picture Calvary. Him looking out on everybody that's, that's had part and participation in getting him where he is hung up there. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around the fact. That he could, if he's going to waste his breath on anything from the cross in that moment, to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Especially when we just get a little deeper and consider that that man that's hanging on the cross has been falsely charged. 
false accusations have put him on the cross. And he's already received, as I said, the lashing upon his back. I mean, for that matter, even one of the malefactors or the thieves that was hanging there next to him has realized that they might be up on their crosses. They're there justly because they did do wrong. But he said that that man, though, that was between them uh, unjustly was hanging from that cross. And yet the Lord would cry out to these perpetrators, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. For that matter, this is Jesus Christ, folks, right? This is the Lamb of God doing what John the Baptist said the Lamb of God came to do and said he would do. He would take away the sins of the world. So these words that Jesus speaks, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These are the right words in reality for the moment. Because in reality, for Jesus to say anything otherwise might have flirted with a contradiction of what he was doing. Because he's there for the sins of the world. He's there for the sins of humanity. I mean, in the moment of hanging on the tree, as Colossians tells us, the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us, you and I, in that moment, they're being taken out of the way. They're being taken out of the way because they are nailed to a cross. They are nailed to the cross that he is nailed to. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that although the Old Testament was largely built upon and predicated upon a sacrificial system of, of blood, of, of animals, of lambs and bulls and goats, Hebrews tells us, though, that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away, and the wording and phraseology is important, could never take away sin. It could push sin forward. It could cause sin to go just one more year without having to be dealt with. But the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. But the body of Jesus Christ offered at Calvary, Hebrews tells us, could accomplish this quote-unquote taking away of sin once and for all. And so Jesus could not properly then bear the sin in his body without forgiving their sin from the cross. So he's taking care of sin on the cross. He requests that forgiveness for them should be done, should be given, because, here's the kicker, he's asking forgiveness for the very ones that are responsible for putting him on the cross. They ever ruined his day. <laughs> they, you thought you had a bad day. They for, I mean, they ever ruined his day. They're responsible for placing him there. Unless, Brother Chris, we're too quick to say, yeah, those soldiers that nailed him there, those Roman soldiers, bless God, they, they're responsible for placing him on the tree. Listen, it goes further than a Roman soldier that put nails into his hands and feet. It goes all the way to the Jewish community as well that are sitting out there while Pilate's saying, I don't find no fault with them. They're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. It gets Pilate too, who finally just got fed up with it all, went over here and washed his hands of the blood and he says, see you to it, whatever you want to do. Amen, it gets him as well. For that matter, amen, those that are responsible for putting him there in circles, every last one of us in this church and beyond. To the end of the world because he's there 
because of our sin. And no man has been exempt from not sinning. All have sinned. He's there because of our sin. And so I'm just as responsible as every other Joe and every other Lou in the world of him being up there. And so whenever he's saying, Father, forgive them, he's saying, forgive them. Now, this is important. Forgive them for, forgive them for they know not. The word for, forgive them for or for this reason or because of. Forgive them for this reason or forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Now, that, Brother McGee, that works real well for Jesus. That works well for Jesus and his cross and Calvary and crucifix setting. That works for his environment, but that does not work well for us. That doesn't work well for my environment. That doesn't work well for my bad days. Follow me here just a little bit tonight. Many times, the things that have happened, and I'll speak personally tonight, the things that have happened to me and the people that have done them to me and ruined, quote-unquote, my day, I argue they knew well what they were doing. But, there's always one of those in there. But, the fact of the matter is this. No one knows the true extent of their wrong they do to another. Meaning, I can testify again personally and tell you that when I've hurt my wife, and I'm not talking about in the physical nature, but with words. When I've hurt my wife or my kids with ill-spoken words, in the moment that I did that, I was not thinking rationally. I was thinking about everything but what I was really saying in the moment. But I did hurt them. And I wasn't thinking about hurting them. I wasn't thinking to the extent that my words were hurting them. Someone say amen or oh me. <clears throat> what was Paul McGee doing in those moments? In reality, I was thinking about myself. Oh, Lord. Uh, maybe we, I should have started with one of the other seven. <clears throat> thinking about myself while I was standing there with my words trying to do what? Be defensive? Probably prideful and arrogant, bullheaded. Well, my Lord, you may be seated. Because here's the thing to the victim, feels like the offender had every intention to hurt them. Whenever you're hurt, it feels like, bless God, they've been scheming this for weeks. That's what it feels like. It feels like they've been scheming and just posturing everything just so-so. And, you know, I guess if it's premeditated murder, that might be the case. But I'm just talking about normal life. The hurts that I've sustained in my life normally blindsided me and the other person that did the hurt and came out of nowhere in a moment. Well, glory. Jack Hayford said it like this. He says, we tend to see things from the viewpoint of our experience. I feel hurt, therefore they hurt me, therefore they had intentions and they were meaningfully plotting and strategizing in order to do this. But 
I'm asking you today, what if we adopt the attitude of Jesus? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't really know the extent and the ramifications of everything that is happening right here in the moment. What if we adopted the idea of Jesus for those that are wishing or you think is plotting to ruin your day and step back and just have the idea, you know what? They just really don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the extent. They don't understand how deeply this really affected me. They don't understand the ramifications. They don't know how far the ripples in the water have went out from this impact because I have a feeling if we approached them through that type of mindset, we might be quicker to forgive them. And listen, I know over the past years, it seems like at different times I've had lessons on forgiveness. And I do that with intention and purpose because that is something that's constantly we need to revisit the concept of forgiveness. We must remember that forgiveness, again, ultimately frees us and not the one that hurt us. When you offer forgiveness, that frees you. Because until you do that, you're incarcerated by what happened to you. And you're incarcerated by the feelings you have toward that person because of what happened to you. And it occupies when you go to bed and when you rise up and when you have spare time, your mind goes to that. And you are bound by a circumstance that you didn't even cause. But since you're nurturing it, then you are captivated by it. And so whenever you forgive... You're not letting anybody off the hook. You're not telling them what they did didn't hurt you. But when you forgive, you're freeing yourself in the moment. Listen to me today, folks. Jesus at Calvary may have been affixed to the tree. But the moment he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was the freest man in the world. He was tethered to the cross, yet he was the freest man in the world when he chose to forgive. And he did that again because it was free and free him. Isaiah 43 and verse 25 states these words. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. This is the Lord speaking. That blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. There it is. He said, I blot them out for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Amen. Amen. We believe tonight. That forgiving does something for the one that has been offended. It does something for the one that has been offended. God even said he did it for his own sake, blotting out their transgressions. There's something that happens to you. There's something that happens uh, whenever you choose to forgive. And here's the fact of the matter. Amen. Again, we're considering you need to forgive those that are trying to, trying to ruin your day, so to speak. Forgive those you believe are trying to ruin your lives. One of the first things of getting through is forgiveness. Because to not forgive is to prolong the initial hurt. To not forgive is to prolong what initially happened to you. To not forgive is to relive the moment of the hurt. And what comes along with that is that you don't just relive the moment, but you relive the pain that you felt when it initially happened. And you may relive the anger that came the moment right after it happened. And so you're spilling all of these things, chemicals for that matter, on a real 
physical side, you're spilling all these things into your body. And here's the sad situation about not forgiving or prolonging. Amen. That hurt by not forgiving. Some new things. Everybody say new things. Some new things begin to incubate by doing this. Such things as hate and bitterness and revenge, just to name a few. Because sometimes the extent of the initial hurt is either lengthened or shortened based upon whether or not we choose to forgive or we choose to hold a grudge. Amen? Or choose not to forgive. Very simple illustration. Uh, and and I, I get onto my daughter sometimes this and Trevor as well. But a cut that has been scabbed over may heal with little to no appearance of a scar if it's left alone. But a scab, and this is what my kids sometimes do, persistently pick that, right? That, that hard spot's raised on yourself. Maybe it's itchy or something. You just kind of, and you start to make it bleed anew and afresh. You pick at it. May very easily result into a worse scar than if it just been left alone. And so with that being said, some, some of the scars from our hurts that we carry it around, listen to me very clear, clearly here, that we carry around ha, are not the result of the initial blow. But they are the result of us picking. It's a result of us picking at them while they're trying to heal. You'll get through some bad days if you'll just say forgive them. Because they just don't know. If you'll just allow it to heal and don't pick at the scab. If you allow it to heal and not mess with the bump that's on your arm. Give it time. It'll go down and it'll be away. And you might look years from now couldn't even tell where it was. Amen. I got, I got a scar above. Uh, I don't remember which eye it is now. Right or left. Uh, whenever I was getting ready one time in the morning, I was there with uh, Robert and some of the twins, and we were, you know, being idiots, and we were doing everything, you know, acting like we was going to slap each other and all this stuff. And uh, I think it was Roberta because it broke her heart. She cried whenever she found out she hurt me, but uh, she, that's just her. But she went to, like, act like she's going to slap me, act like. And I ducked, and I caught the edge of our dresser, which in those days were a whole lot sharper than Now they're all kids safe and all that stuff. They're rounded. But this was a pointy edge, and I caught, caught it with my eye, and it, it ripped right above my, my eyelid and had to go get stitches. Today you could look probably real hard and maybe see something there but there's not much there. And the reason being is well I didn't pick at it it had stitches in it for one but also time has just allowed it just to kind of fade and I've gotten older and probably got a big wrinkle there maybe I don't know but amen. What I'm saying is what I'm saying is if we'll just choose not to pick at some of those wounds they will heal but you can make matters worse by holding on to the original hurt and making it bleed again from time to time because you're revisiting it. I mean, we, we, we can survive. We can survive and make it through some truly horrid things by the power of forgiveness. Oh, yes. Forgiveness can take the sting from some of our bad days and prevent them from turning into bad weeks and bad years. There's another saying that Jesus had. 
from the cross, Luke 23 and verse 43, the Bible says this. Jesus says, he's there on the cross, still on the cross. Now, all these are going to be those from the cross. Verily I say unto thee. He's speaking to one of the, 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 the thieves, the malefactors. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. One of the ways that you make it through your bad day or one of the things you need to do is you need to help others who are experiencing your same struggle. You need to help others who are experiencing your same struggle. Although Jesus was on the cross without fault, the other two next to him on either side were hanging there as a result of fault of their own. But here's the fact of the matter. All three of them were having a bad day. All three of them were having a horrible day. All three of them had been affixed to a cross. They all three had experienced that. Jesus was the perfect lamb of God. This was God's son on the cross. He was a king in his own right. They even put that little placard above his head, the king of the Jews. He was a king in his own right. But here's something important. He did not view himself as superior to those two men that were on crosses on either side of him. But he approached them, even in this moment, at the level of their common struggle. They're all on the cross. He didn't, he didn't tilt his crown in that moment, no. He met them at the common level of their struggle of being on the cross. Because here's the, and I don't know if you want to call it the wonderful thing, but here's one of the peculiar thing about struggles in our life. Struggles of our lives are the equalizers of humanity. Mm-hmm. It takes a high class to a low class to reach the poor. It, ta- it is the equalizer of humanity, our struggles. Because, folks, flu's hitting the young, the old, the rich, the poor. Coronavirus is hitting the doctor, the lawyer, the beggar. It's an equalizer of humanity. And if there's one area that people can identify, hopefully, and relate to one another in, it is in their struggles, in their struggles. Each of those, two thieves and Jesus, each of those knew what it was like to be nailed to a cross. Each of them knew what it felt like to be lifting their hands and their feet up on those nails somewhat just to get a new breath of air in their lungs. They all knew what it felt like to be the spectacle, if you will, of their community as people walked by and people even stood in the crowd and jeered, if you will, at them. They all knew what that was like. But here is the difficulty. Here's why one of the means to get through our bad days is to help somebody else in the same struggle that we are. Here is a temptation in suffering. The temptation in suffering is this. That is to be self-absorbed. And to believe that we cannot be a help to anyone else because we are most focused on our own situation. Is everybody okay? Look at it now. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, 
who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Look at verse 6. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual. I know this might seem wordy. Which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Keep verse number six up there. Verse number six is simply saying this, that our affliction is or that our affliction can be for someone else's consolation and salvation. And for that matter, the the consolation that we are to another is effectual, or if you will, is effective for them, although... Look at it. Although we are enduring the same sufferings that they're enduring. In other words, although they're going through the same thing that I'm going through. Huh? Right? My affliction can be a comfort and a consolation to them. Mm-hmm. Amen. There was an Old Testament story that came to mind whenever I was thinking about helping somebody that's experiencing the same thing or help somebody that's experiencing the same bad day or the same struggle that you are. My mind went back to 1 Kings, Bishop. In 1 Kings chapter number 17, there's a well-known story, well-worn story of a prophet by the name of Elijah who was commanded of the Lord to go to the widow at Zarephath. It's in this story that really the crosswords of helping somebody that's in a similar dilemma as you, amen, comes even to uh, be played out in the Old Testament scripture. The, the setting of the scripture is this. Elijah has already spoke from heaven by being commanded of the Lord that there would not be any rain or dew upon the land for uh, as long as the Lord commanded. We come find out it's about three years later before that was ever lifted. And so there's no rain or dew that's going to come. It's already at this point in time of 1 Kings 17. It's already being withheld. And so as a result of that, bodies of water, creeks, rivers, and lakes, all these things are starting to dry up. As a result of that, crops, there's, there's no water, there's no dew for the crops. Animals are having no place to go to receive water for their bodies. And so as a result of that, the crops are suffering. Animals are suffering. Amen. Animals are going to die as a result of this. Crops are going to fail. And ultimately, a famine is going to pervade the land all because there's no water and there is no dew coming from heaven. The Bible even tells us that Elijah at first was at a brook called Cherith, Cherith, and he had been staying there, but he had to leave because the brook was drying up. The brook was drying up. And this is what the Lord told him. He said, Elijah, I want you to go. I want you to go to Zarephath because there I've commanded a widow there to sustain you. Now here's, here's the peculiar thing. Elijah shows up at Zarephath and it's very soon in the scripture that we see this woman and her son are in the same predicament that Elijah is in. I mean, everybody in the country at this time is in the same predicament. We're without water. That's affecting our food sources. It's affecting our livestock. There's a famine pervading the land. And yet God says, go to that lady. You're going to get sustained by her. 
But she's in the same struggle that you've got. Her bad day's your bad day. You both got a bad day here. And so she's also suffering from the rain and from the dew not coming. And the Lord said that he commanded this woman that's in a similar struggle to sustain Elijah. Look at it, if you will. First Kings chapter number 17 and verse number 10. So here's Elijah. He's obedient to the Lord. So he arose, left Cherith. It's, it's you know, drying up. He arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. Oh, here she is, he's thinking. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel. Well, that was quite a request within itself. Fetch me, notice he did say at least a little water. Fetch me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 11. And as she was going, so she has no problem with this, right? Everything's well. As she was going to fetch it, this is where the whammy came. He called to her and said, it would be like this. Oh, since you're going to get water, could you also? No one's ever did that to you, have you? Get me a glass of tea. Oh, why are you in there? Could you fix me a sandwich? No, I mean. uh, (laughs) Got a little Elijah widow going on in the house, don't you? Amen. (laughs) <laughs> so as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread. In thy no, with men, it's never enough just to have a drink. They got to have something to eat too. But <laughs> this is such practical teaching here tonight. Verse 12, and she said, the buck stops here, right? And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks. Now, you know it's going to be a little cake when two sticks can take care of it. (laughs) I mean, that's a happy meal even with a few fries missing. I'm telling you right now. And so I've gathered two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So she didn't balk at the request for a little water. Although it was scarce, but she did when he asked for a morsel of bread. Why? Because she's saying, hey, me and Bubba struggling too. Me and Bubba don't have much to eat either. We don't have much food. And here's what she was telling the prophet. Everybody watch with me right now. She's having a bad day. Elijah's having a bad day. She was telling the prophet, I'm going to take care of me and my son because we are in need of food. Being absorbed with her own struggle. Being absorbed in her own problem. Going to take care of me and Bubba because we don't have much food. Anyway, verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. In reality, I'm using this story tonight for the concept from Calvary that he looked out for somebody else that was going through the very same struggle that he was in. I believe we can look at this. God can use this story tonight to break down the fact, the concept, 
that we can help people that are in the same struggle as we are. It becomes a mentality that we can't help somebody that's going through the same thing that we are, especially when we're going through it at the same time. But I want to erase that, uh, that, that miscommunication that happens in our brains. You can help somebody that's going through the exact same thing that you are even while you are going through it. Someone just shake your head. Say amen. Amen. Because if we don't watch it in our moment of going through it, we'll become self-absorbed. And we got the walls up. And we got the protection around. Because I'm already struggling. I'm going through something. And I got to look out for me. I got to look out for me. That's what she was saying. I got me and my son to worry about. But Elijah said, just, just do if you'll just do what you said you're going to do, but just make me one first. Just make me one first. I want you to do exactly what you said, but just put me before you. Just put me before you. And in doing so, amen, the Bible tells us that her consolation, even as the, the, the book of Corinthians tells us, her consolation abounded by Christ. In other words, the Bible says that the Lord supplied her need. There was meal to spare. There was the cruise of oil. Did not fail. Why? Because she was willing to help somebody in the same struggle she was in at the same time she was in it. Amen. This is how we survive. Some of our bad days. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 9. These are popular scriptures. You've all read these, said them before, but I want to point something out to you. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Look at verse 10. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Look, it says, woe to him that is alone when he falleth. Because when there's two, one can aid the other to lift the other up. But here, keep that scripture up here, because here's how we oftentimes picture the scripture. Rather than reading it and taking it as it is, this is how we often picture the scripture. Brother Pat, stand up for me. There's two, us laboring together, me and Brother Pat. We're just joint, oh, good old pals, oh, buddy, old friend, hallelujah. Amen. The way that we picture this in the scripture is that a brother has fell, right? And then there's another brother there, thank God, to help him up. That's not what the Bible says. If they fall. Me and him are in the same struggle. If they fall, the one, I'm not trying to get out of my struggle by myself, but someone that's in the same struggle that I am is helping me. If I got to lean a little on him and him a little on me, he's helping me up, I'm helping him up. If, if they fall, you may be seeing Brother Pat. If they fall. And so it's not just a picture of one falling. Amen. There's one left standing to help the other one. They are both in the same situation. They have fell. But one helps lift his fellow up. Why? Because when you're having a bad day, you can't help somebody that's in the same condition that you are. Someone say amen. Ronald Reagan said, we can't help everyone, 
But everyone can help someone. I did a little research just a little quick this afternoon. And they say providing support to others activates a neural pathway in the brain that boosts our overall well-being. University of Pittsburgh, they said this and found this out. They said that helping others directly activates a brain region that has previously been linked to parental care behaviors at the same time activating. There's a spot in your brain called the amygdala, a brain structure associated with fear and stress responses. That's what amygdala is, is associated with fear and stress responses. And that whenever you help people, it activates this part in your brain and it lowers those fear and those stress responses just simply by helping somebody. What are you saying? I said, how many times do you get just stressed out by your struggle? And scientifically, if you just help somebody else, even if they're in the same struggle, you're alleviating scientifically some of your stress and your fear about your struggle. He says, don't, don't forget, don't forget to help those that are in the same condition that you are. If you'll stand for me tonight, I'll come to a close here quickly. Here's something else very awesome. This is very simple, very practical tonight. But whenever we, whenever we help others while we're suffering ourselves, that provides a distraction for us. That, that provides a distraction for you. Because it's very easy to wake up, problem, bed, problem, toss and sleep during the night because of the problem. You eat problem for breakfast, you eat it for lunch, and you eat it for supper. Conversation you have with other people centers around the problem. But if you divert and get distracted from your own problem, even if it's somebody else's, and help, there is a healing that's within that alone. Rather than being consumed by our problems, we aid another's with their problems, and there's this overall feeling of embitterment about our own because we help somebody with theirs. Isn't, I mean, that seems awful odd, but at the same time, I think it is awesome. I close tonight with this. This will kind of tee up the ball for next week. Not only did Jesus help the thief on the cross, just even with his simple statement and words, but he also from the cross helped his mother, Mary, at the foot of the cross. Mother, she was having a bad day. <laughs> That's the one that she bore from her womb. Right? The one that she birthed is now hanging on the tree prematurely. 33, what? 33 years, somewhere around there? Prematurely hanging on the tree. And Jesus instructs John to care for Mary and watch over her and be kind to her and care for her. And that just kind of sets us up for next week. I'm going to leave you just dangling here. The next week starting, one of the other words from the cross is this. Not only do you need to help somebody that's in the same struggle that you are, but you need to take care of those that are near to you. Now, that might not seem like much, but whenever we have a bad day, 
Sometimes rather than taking care of those near to us, we make their day a bad day. So we'll look at that next week. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm so thankful, Lord, unto you. God, you are Lord Jesus, our everything. You are Lord Jesus, God, the King of glory. You're the God, Lord, you're the creator of over all the earth. I pray, oh, Lord, today be with your people tonight, God, as they go to their separate ways, to their homes. I pray, oh, God, that you continue, Lord Jesus, to bring healing into the homes and the families, God, the people, Lord, that attend here, God, and elsewhere. I pray, oh, God, tonight, Lord, we cast all of our care upon you, Lord, for you care for us, God, and we love and appreciate, Lord, your ability, God, and those things that you spoke from the cross that can be instructional even for our lives, God, with difficulties that we face. God in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.